0: Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by a brand new sponsor, a documentary, and it's called Navy SEAL Target of Opportunity, and it's brought to you by a retired Navy chief who worked with SEALs for most of his career, and he's since turned into an anarcho-capitalist documentary filmmaker, and the film is about these two SEALs that were in the final weeks of training, and they go out to celebrate one night at a bar. And they end up being the last two men to see Jennifer Evans alive. It's a film that questions a lot about our military and our justice system. And if you like the sort of murder, mystery, documentary type films that I'm into, go check out Navy SEAL, Target of Opportunity. It's available on Amazon. His website is probably the best place to go, neargeniusfilms.com Neargeniusfilms.com. It's also available on iTunes, so check it out, guys. I think you're really going to like it. All right, let's start the show. Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceilings does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction. I, of course, am your host, the one and only voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita, broadcasting once again deep behind enemy lines here in the Windy City on Saturday. Now, I did not do a show on Friday. It was just not in the cards yesterday. I wasn't feeling it. It was a long week and I didn't want to sort of rush through an episode or put out anything less than the standard you guys are used to, which is just pure awesome. So I decided to take the night off and have a little fun, (laughs) unwind a little bit. But fear not, I am back. It's Saturday and I'm ready to go. We have a lot to talk about. It was a pretty crazy week. I mean, as far as, uh, you know, all of these weeks have been crazy for the last couple of months. But in particular, we had some pretty interesting developments taking place over in Seattle with uh, these communists that have decided to carve out a a piece of the city for themselves. And then we had a couple of really crazy days in the market. So I want to get into all of that. I don't have a whole lot of, you know, banter planned for today. There hasn't been a lot going on with me other than the usual, you know, taking care of business. The, the show's, you know, going gangbusters right now. We're getting new listeners every day, which is amazing. Thank you all so very much for listening and sharing the show and contributing to this thing any way that you can. I appreciate each and every one of you guys. And other than that, you know, it's... We started to resume life here in Chicago. things are gradually opening back up. I went to a restaurant uh, last weekend. I don't think I mentioned that on the last episode. I actually dined at a restaurant, had uh, food served to me. Of course we were outside. you weren't allowed to sit inside. It was fairly nice out though and had a, had a pretty good meal but man there's you, you drive around and you're seeing a lot of businesses just gone. And I am going to get into that in a little bit when I update you on the jobs report stuff. But I just wanted to, um, I wanted to start by just talking about this craziness that's going on with this whole defund the police movement. I, and I talked about it on the last couple of episodes. We now have like an occupied area within Seattle that's basically being controlled by a warlord. And they're referring to it as CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. I think this dates back to, was it Tuesday? Uh, on Tuesday evening, they uh, they opened the doors to City Hall, allowing over a 1,000 protesters inside who were demanding that Seattle defund the police department and ban the use of chemicals like tear gas and things like that. The protesters also called for the immediate resignation of the mayor mayor jenny durkin seattle police department are currently working to broker a deal with the protesters who have controlled the chas since tuesday after clashing with police over the weekend Uh, this article is from como news i I don't know what the hell that is but uh, the article is up on uh, on uh, zero hedge But after clashing with police over the weekend, resulting in the evacuation of the police precinct and the National Guard pullout. So they removed all of the the police and the National Guard. And in less than a week, the Seattle police chief, Carmen Best, says crime has already spiked 300 percent. I don't know how they really know all this, but uh, rapes, robberies and all sorts of violent acts have been occurring in the area and we're not able to get to them. But there's, there's just so much to, to laugh about what's going on here. First of all, you have these uh, pussy politicians cowering to these, these protesters and, and pulling out the police, pulling out the National Guard. What do they think was going to happen, right? But then you have a bunch of these like Antifa communists. The, the first thing they do, the first thing these left-wing protesters do is put up uh, borders. They, they put up uh, blockades. They 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 put up a border around the area, and they used armed guards to patrol. <laughs> I mean, the, the the two things that they criticize Donald Trump for that make Donald Trump literally Hitler, according to them, were the first two things that they do. And there's just something hilarious about that. I mean, all the hypocrisy on display here is incredible. It, it never ceases to amaze me. Of course, you know, if they were concerned about uh, hypocrisy, they, of course, wouldn't be leftists. But um, they also ran out of food like two days into this. All these homeless people ended up stealing food that was brought in to support the hungry protesters and uh, heavily armed SoundCloud rapper Raz Simone. Has taken over as the autonomous zone's resident warlord with his crew. And they've been trying to like extort local businesses. I mean, like, this is just, uh, they've created their own little like government mafia. They're going around trying to get. Uh, protection money from businesses. Of course, it wouldn't be a little communist utopia if they weren't all starving to death and running out of food. There was a tweet, they were asking for uh, vegan meat and soy to keep the area operational after homeless people take all of their supplies. Of, Of course, of course, they're a bunch of vegans. Oh, soy boy vegans. Could you imagine a worse communist country to live under than one that's a, run by communists, and B, they're, they're vegans. I mean, Jesus Christ, dude, just kill me. Just kill me already. <laughs> oh, you just can't make this stuff up. It, it, it is, I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone. Now, there are like a number of things that I could think of that the, the city could do to sort of squash this whole movement. I don't know why they still have like electricity and water running to this area. Why don't they just shut off all the utilities and let these communists really figure out how they're going to function. But really, I, I would just... they don't have to do anything. This will... If, if socialists have taught us anything, it's that eventually this little autonomous zone will collapse, and those walls that are currently being used to keep the police out will be used to keep the people in. They're, they're gonna be fleeing this area like there's no tomorrow, trying to get over that wall. I mean, this is just a, a complete disaster, and of course, it's it's being labeled anarchism, right? These are anarchists, and this will be used as an example as to why anarchism can never work. I don't know why um, anarcho capitalists don't do this. Should we just take over an area of a city and prove our model? I, I mean, we could do that. We, we could definitely do that. What what happened? Like this whole uh. This whole New Hampshire free state project, why don't we just do that? Why don't we rope off, like, blockade an area? We got plenty of armed anarcho-capitalists, and as long as we, we stick to the principles of liberty, the libertarian principles, property rights, non-aggression, I think this could be uh, another model. We, we could have competing models and see which, which form of anarchy would be better, because... What they're doing over there in Seattle now is not really anarchism. A lot of people, and I talked about this before on the show, but people think that anarchy just means chaos. Like There's no rules. There's no um, order to society. It's just a free-for-all. And warlords take over and, and, and run everything, which is exactly what's happening over in that commune. But anarchy just means no rulers. It doesn't mean no rules. You have to have uh, rules and, and property rights, uh, strict adherence to property rights and non-aggression for for anarchy to really work. You have to have the the culture buy into that sort of idea. You you can't just have uh, an area that you block off and per, uh, patrol with armed guards and have a warlord shaking down businesses and extorting people and call that anarchism. To me, that just looks like another government took over. Another government just came in and took over an area of the city, and they've got their own little uh, country in there, their own little communist country, which will collapse onto itself if it hasn't already. I'm surprised it's lasted this long. It's been, I don't know, like four days now. (laughs) But they were out of food on day two, which is just... God, these jokes write themselves. It's absolutely hilarious. But one of the one of the really interesting things is how many people are being exposed to these types of ideas and are actually thinking about alternatives to the government monopoly in terms of policing and and governing and things like that. The, the problem is all of these people who are have not been red pilled, who have not looked into libertarianism at all. Uh, they don't really think of the implications of what they're saying or alternative solutions. They just don't want any more police or they don't want uh, you know they want this mayor to step down. but they don't know they've never thought through the potential of uh, a privatization of these types of services because of course, privatizing it is just pure evil. There's one thing worse than government to a, a communist. It's privatization. That's the real, boogeyman here right and the other just hilarious thing to watch is just this corrupt media try to cover this like these are the the peaceful protesters that that have just uh, taken over a portion of the city and are patrolling it with with armed guards and there's a warlord directing everybody and extorting businesses could you imagine what sort of coverage they would get from the corporate press if this was a right-wing group like the what the right-wing group of protesters they just walk around in front of uh the capitol building or something like that with their guns out and they're they, they clean up after themselves they're carrying some signs and then they go home at the end of the day and that is like blasphemy that is this is like uh the biggest threat to democracy we've ever seen and, and they get branded all sorts of uh, names and, and evil, like bad, uh, bad publicity and all this stuff. And then these guys actually take over a portion of the city violently. And they come up smelling like roses in the corporate press, and the left-wing media. I mean, they at least have to admit the existence of Antifa now. I'm old enough to remember a few years ago when that wasn't even a thing. They wouldn't even acknowledge that this group was going around smacking people over the head with bike locks. I mean... It really is just unbelievable. And then the government. The government's just letting this happen. They're just... Seattle, the mayor, is just standing down. She's just giving them them a space. Maybe we're going to negotiate with them or something like that. Negotiate? What the fuck? I mean, they're shutting down individual businesses for trying to open up to give people haircuts or to uh, serve them dinner or alcohol or something like that. You do that, they they come at you with a SWAT team. They'll, they'll knock down your door. They'll drag you off in cuffs. But this, oh, you want to take over like a portion of the city and, and just burn it to the ground? Okay, yeah, no problem. Ha- have fun. We're going to give you some space to do that. What? What the hell are we doing here? Uh, you know, they could cut, like I said, they could cut the power to, the, I remember when they were threatening to cut power to businesses that were trying to remain open during the shutdown period. They were, they were prepared to do that, but they're not prepared to do anything to deter this uh, violent communist takeover of a portion of their city. It, this is just, it's unbelievable. I, I can't, I mean, this has been the, the craziest year. I, I just, I, I'm almost at a loss for words which is rare for me. But I just can't imagine going through life trying to do all of the exhausting mental gymnastics it must take to be one of these left-wing protesters or these Antifa guys or this this corporate press where you have to try to justify all of this ridiculousness. I mean, these are people that think microaggressions, uh, offensive jokes, misgendering, any, anybody who, who doesn’t agree 100% with your ideology, well, well that's just that's violence against me. You're committing violence. Hate speech is violence, right? And then non-violence is of course uh, protesting, looting, burning things to the ground, rioting, and you know taking over a portion of the city. Thats all, uh, that's all fine. That, that’s all nonviolent behavior. It's all peaceful protesting setting up barricades, extorting businesses. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we are living in some interesting times. And you've got all of these politicians who are just such cowards that they nobody will stand up against this. Nobody will come out and, and do anything. They just pander to them. They, they pander to this movement. I, I can't believe that they, they've taken the bait from Donald Trump again. Like, this is... I can't imagine a more losing position for the Democrats to take than to be for rioting and communist rebels taking over sections of cities across America. That's perfectly okay. And we're going to defund the police and we're going to take, we're going to remove the last line of defense that as most people see it from communist rebels taking over your city and extorting your businesses. We're going to take away that last line of defense and police and the National Guard and things. So now they're coming out in favor of that. And Donald Trump gets to be the law and order president who's going to protect you from these hooligans running around, destroying cities and, and taking over, uh, warlords taking over. Like the, the biggest fear that, that everybody, ha- every statist has is well, without government, warlords would take over. That this is what we deal with every day as anarcho-capitalists, as libertarians, that the, the second you remove government, this is what's gonna, this is what society is gonna devolve into, uh, just a bunch of uh, violent gangs fighting each other for territory and resources, and people are gonna be starving in the streets. So Donald Trump gets to come out in in favor of preventing that. I mean, they, they it's like they're trying to lose this election, which would be. A cakewalk for anybody. I mean, they they have the worst possible candidate in Joe Biden. I mean, the worst possible candidate in Joe Biden. And now they're just taking the most retarded positions imaginable. I mean, yeah, I would would like to see a a defunding of the police. Like I said, the implications of that are endless. That's basically a defunding of the entire government. Because without the police to enforce all of their laws and their rules and their regulations, they've got nothing. Of course I'm on board with that. But who, who else is actually going to be? Libertarians are like 3% of the population. So on the one hand, you have the vast majority of normal society that just want like an orderly... They're willing to sacrifice a lot of their freedom and a lot of their liberty for security and order. And they're looking at what's going on throughout the, the country, throughout the world, really. And they're looking over in Seattle at this this gang that's taken over a, a portion of the city. And, and they're saying, you know, I, I think I want the police to have funding. I, I think I might want to have the, the National Guard come in and protect me from that. I don't want that. So may, maybe I do vote for Donald Trump now. I don't know. I mean... I couldn't imagine a, a president coming out of all of this and winning re-election. But man, if they keep taking positions like this, how do you vote for that? I don't think that's going to be a winning position for the Democrats. This is just going to be the most interesting year of, of my entire life. I, I can't imagine, of course, you, you can never imagine these things before they actually happen, but th- this is just, this is absolutely incredible. I am at, at, a, at a loss for words here. I am flabbergasted. I can't wait to see how this turns out. This is fascinating to me. And I can't wait to have some of these discussions with people once we can resume society and we can talk about like actually defunding police and what that might look like and you know what what anarchy could really look like and not some, you know, communist takeover. They're gonna get a huge dose of their hardcore commie policies over there in Seattle. We'll see how long that uh that little commune can can stand. Anyway, I do wanna switch gears here and talk about what's been going on in the markets, in the economy the last couple of days. We had some really wild days in the stock market on Thursday and Friday, and I want to get into all of that and the implications of that for the economy going forward. But first, I'd like to thank our other sponsor for today's show, because they, more than anybody, are making this show possible today. The reason there was no show on Friday, as I said, was because after I finished work at three o'clock uh, uh, yesterday, I-, I just said "fuck it," I- I'm gonna start drinking. I- I'd had it. It's been a long week. I didn't want to half-ass the show and for you guys. And you know, when my heart wasn't in it, and I didn't want to rush it, so I-, I took the night off and I got hammered. I had a great time. I got rocked. I mean, I'll be honest. Normally. I'd be in no condition to do a podcast today after a night like that. But, you know, you guys would have no way of knowing how bent out of shape I am if I didn't tell you, would you? And the reason for that is simple. Because the first thing I did this morning when I got up was brew myself a cup of Lorenzotti coffee. The premium Italian coffee delivered to me by two liberty-minded entrepreneurs that were brought together by one simple thing their love of coffee, and their desire to make that independent coffeehouse feel that you get over in Italy possible right here in America. And they do that by providing not only the beans you need, but the professional equipment you need to brew the perfect cup of coffee. So stop drinking that mass-produced burnt brown water you've got in your coffee pot right now and go to loranzati.coffee. That's L O R. E is in Edward, N is in Nancy, Z is in Zebra. O T T I dot coffee, and you get free shipping if you order at least two tins. Use promo code Fiction at checkout. You'll get an additional ten percent off your order. Guys, you'd be crazy to risk getting coronavirus and standing in one of those socially distanced lines over at Starbucks to overpay for a, a, a half-hazardly brewed coffee. Just go to Coffee and have it delivered right to your door. It's the ultimate luxury for the ultimate cup of coffee. And just make sure you use promo code FICTION at checkout so they know I sent you and get your 10% off the order. All right. Now that I've paid the bills for today's show, let's talk about the economy a little bit. Because I did mention, if you remember, a couple episodes ago when I talked about the huge rally we had in the Dow based off of that jobs report that the two and a half million jobs created that I didn't believe that number for a second and that it would most likely be revised down later on well we, we've gotten some more information as to how they've come about the, the two and a half million jobs being created in the month of May and you know, most of these jobs are just people that were being paid by the government to go back to jobs that they already had through the, the Paycheck Protection Program. So the, the idea that we created like two and a half million new jobs in May is ridiculous. They already had these jobs. They never really lost them. These, these were all just jobs that we had before the shutdown where the government was paying them to essentially paying companies to pay their workers to not work. And now when things open back up and those, those people resume working, they're, they're claiming that that's 2.5 million new jobs being created when they weren't new jobs at all. These were the same old jobs we had before the shutdown. But then on top of that, you have about 350,000 jobs that were created based off of what's called the birth-death model. And I think I've probably talked about this on the show once long ago, but I think we need to go over it again because this birth-death model thing is really absolutely ridiculous, and it's how they created most of these jobs over the like the entire Obama recovery. A huge chunk of those jobs were due to the birth-death model. And now here they're assuming that 350,000 jobs last month came into existence. And basically what the birth-death model is is an assumption that during a a given period of time, there are a certain number of businesses that come into existence and that go out of business. And every time they come out with a job number, they come up with this birth-death model projection, which is an estimate as to how many businesses would have, in theory, come into existence and how many would have gone out of business based on their, I don't know, a government whim or their economic outlook or something like that there are a number of problems with this as you can see because if your economic outlook is like rosy if you're looking at it through rose-colored glasses you're going to be a lot more optimistic as to how many businesses you think were created when there's really no evidence of them actually being created you're just assuming it because well you have this bias but think about what they're saying here in the month of may During the quarantine, the coronavirus quarantine, when everybody was forced to shut down their business and businesses are being closed left and right. They decided that enough businesses decided to open in May. New businesses decided to start their business, open their doors in May to create 350,000 additional new jobs. Now, they always, I have never, I don't think I've ever seen a birth-death model report where they err on the side of death. They always err on the side of birth. It always seems like more businesses are coming into existence than are going out of business. But, I mean, come on. If there was ever a time to have a negative birth-death model estimate, meaning more businesses close their doors than open their doors, wouldn't it be during quarantine, during a national shutdown, when everybody's business was forced to close, and you have businesses permanently closing left and right? I mean, who opened a business during the last couple of months? You'd have to be crazy. Nobody did that. Absolutely nobody. And I've, I I look all over the place. I drive around Chicago. All of these businesses are permanently closed. Permanently closed. They, they have a whole website. Because I was looking for, like I said, I went to dinner last weekend, and I was trying to find a place to eat that was open. And there's a great, well, there was a great little uh, seafood restaurant down the street from me here on Belmont called Falstrom's, And I love this place. They had great seafood. The best fried calamari I've ever had in my life, bar none, hands down, it blows everything I've ever had out of the water, and I pretty much order it every time I see it on a menu. Theirs was fantastic. All of their fish was good. A nice little place you could buy fresh fish there. or They also had a restaurant with outdoor seating, and it was a couple blocks away. I love this place. They did all-you-could-eat king crab legs on Tuesdays for like 60 bucks a person, something ridiculous like that, and they permanently closed their doors. So then I pulled up the this site that's been tracking all of the Chicago-area restaurants that have gone out of business permanently because of coronavirus, and the list is long. It's really long. These businesses are closing left and right. Businesses that have been open for like 50 years. Pippin's Tavern and uh, the Gold Coast that my uh, my buddies and I actually got kicked out of once upon a time for getting a little too rowdy. <laughs> Uh, it almost ended with some violent street fight, but that's been that that's closed now. They they opened in the early 1970s, and and they're gone. Falstrom's, like I said, is gone. Uh, Chicago House of Za, they're gone. Ditka's, Ditka's, the coronavirus took out Ditka. I mean, this list goes on and on. There's there's probably 30 or 40 restaurants on here. Simply It. I used to order from there sometimes. National 27, which is a Let Us Entertain You spot. They're gone. I mean, there are businesses closing left and right. The idea that uh, there are enough new businesses started in May to create 350,000 additional jobs is absolutely absurd. Uh, these numbers are complete bullshit. And I don't know if the markets are starting to figure this out or if we just sort of reached the blow off top of this retracement. Because I've talked about how, you know, you get these violent moves up when you're in a bear market. You get big moves up. And this move up was big. I mean, we almost made it back to the previous high in some of these markets pre-coronavirus the nasdaq was at all-time highs again during quarantine during the coronavirus during the pandemic and riots in the streets and the most civil unrest we've ever seen the nasdaq was reaching all-time highs the s&p almost got there it got it, it was within a few hundred points of their their previous all-time high and the dow was above twenty-seven thousand. And then all of a sudden, the, the Fed came out on, they had their, you know, FOMC meeting on Tuesday and Wednesday, and Powell did not do his job of pumping these markets up. He uh, did not apparently do a good enough job of assuring all of uh, Wall Street that they were going to be able to keep this party going, and the market sold off in a big, big way i mean the the dow i think closed down 1800 points we were down like four to five percent across the board everything was down even if gold sold off too, bitcoin sold off there was nothing that was up at the end of thursday's session and then you had mnuchin come out uh friday morning i think it was and he's talking about how they're they're gonna pump trillions of dollars into this economy and we got a we opened with a really big rally, and it, it sort of fizzled throughout the day. But I think the highest we got was maybe 800 points up on the Dow. That sort of erased like almost half the gains, uh, half the losses from the day before. And then we closed around up like four, five hundred points, something like that, like one and a half, two percent up. Uh, so we got back some of the losses. I don't know if that's going to persist or if we're going to resume the next leg down in this bear market, because I mean I feel like the stimulus had its effect. It took us from the March lows all the way up to new all-time highs on the Nasdaq, and I mean nothing really changed fundamentally. We've we've started to reopen things. Well, I, I guess we'll gradually get uh, some better economic numbers, but how much more of an effect can all of this economic uh, stimulus have on the market? Because it's like a drug. Every time you take it, you need more of it to get you the same high that you got from the time before. And when the Fed is pumping money into the market, I think it was Peter Schiff that was making this point, anytime you hear guys like Mnuchin or, or any of these government officials talking about how they're going to uh, inject stimulus into the economy. We're injecting liquidity or we're pumping money in to, to save this economy, right? And just substitute the word inflation for liquidity or money or stimulus because that's what is really happening. That's what it is. It's inflation. Inflation is an expansion of the money supply. So, anytime they're creating dollars from nothing and injecting it into the economy, by definition, that's inflation. Okay, that's where the, that's why they call it inflation because it's an expansion of the money supply. Like you inflate a balloon, the balloon expands with air. It's inflation. Now, the effect of inflation is rising prices or prices that stay at their current levels when they would have actually fallen a little bit instead of uh, remaining stable so you get the the result of inflation is higher prices than would otherwise have resulted from the economic activity prices are are going to be higher now whether or not they rise or they just stay the same instead of go down is you know immaterial the prices are higher than they normally would be And that's one reason why the way the government measures inflation is so misleading. Because the way they measure it, they measure the price increases of a basket of goods that they just sort of pick at random. Now, just because the price of those goods doesn't rise does not mean that there's no inflation. But that's what their inflation number would tell you. If the price stays the same, there's no inflation. But like I said, for one thing, we don't know if absent all of the money creation that those prices would have actually fallen instead of stayed the same and how much they would have fallen. But there's like a million of other, uh, other ways that they could mask the, the real infl- effect of inflation as well. Because think of like a bag of chips or a box of cereal, right? When I was a kid, a box of cereal the box itself was a lot bigger than it is right now. It was bigger, it was taller, it was wider. And it, so it had a lot more cereal in it. And the bag, the bag inside the box was full to the brim with cereal. And now you open up a box of cereal and ha- like, first of all, the, the box itself is like half the size that it was. And the bag inside the box is half full of air. So the, the price may not have risen any, you the price maybe was i don't know by serial cost $4 so maybe it was $4 last you know 5 years ago and it's still $4 today but you're getting like 25% of what you got before the way the government measures inflation uh, there's no inflation there uh, nothing those effects don't materialize and then there are all sorts of other problems with the way they do it like the the quality substitutes that they do think of like a piece of furniture that you have now versus like twenty years ago. Right? Back in, you know, our, our parents' days, you would go to a store and like pick out a desk, right? And they would deliver that desk to your house. A, a solid oak desk like, fully assembled. And they brought it to your door, right? Now you buy a desk on Amazon and it gets delivered to you. In a hundred different pieces with like 500 different screws and all this shit that you got to put together. You got to spend half your day putting together this desk that's made of like cheap ass particle board. I mean, what's your time worth, right? But the price of those two desks could be exactly the same. One could be solid oak, fully assembled. The other one could be particle board in 100 different pieces that you have to spend your entire weekend putting together. So, like, according to the government, right, there'd be no inflation there. And, of course, they don't take into account the time that you spend putting it together or the decreased quality in the materials or anything like that. So the way we measure inflation is intentionally... Uh, designed to understate what the true uh, uh, effects of it are on your money. But if you notice where the Fed is pumping all of the inflation, when Mnuchin comes out and says, we're pumping trillions of dollars of liquidity into the market, uh, re- remember, i.e. inflation, who gets that inflation first? It's the bankers, and it's the stockbrokers, and it's the bond traders. That's where the now unprecedented amount of inflation to the tune of like $6 trillion. That's where it starts. So not only do you get, do they get to use the money before the effects of all of the inflation and the money printing reverberate throughout the economy, but they use it to blow up bubbles in the equity markets and in the bond markets. And that leads us down this path to this whole boom bust cycle that everyone's always talking about and blaming capitalism for. But of course, it's not a function of capitalism. It's a function of the Federal Reserve monetary policy. And along with all of that comes all the income inequality that capitalism also gets blamed for. All of these problems that people talk about today, that they blame on free market capitalism, are, are all due to the Fed. that That's why we need to end the Fed. And that's why libertarians harp on this all the time. Because it exacerbates... All of these problems of inequality are exacerbated to untold amounts of money because these bankers and these Wall Street fat cats are getting filthy rich off of doing basically nothing, nothing productive. They get to borrow money from the Fed at practically zero, and they get to loan it out at higher interest rates to to people, to you and me, and to the federal government, to the biggest debtor of all time. I mean, they're, they're always going to be a buyer, and it's always going to be at a higher interest rate than they get the money from the Fed. So, the, And then the traders can leverage themselves up to their eyeballs, borrowing at ridiculously low interest rates, and then gambling with that money in the Wall Street casino. And then if any of those bets go bad, well, the the Fed steps in. The Fed's going to step in and make sure that they don't lose any money on those bets, no matter how reckless they were. They'll backstop the market. They'll keep it from falling. How? Well, by printing more money. This is what we do. Or, I mean, excuse me, inflation. By printing up some more inflation. By creating inflation and pumping more of the poison that's making the economy sick into the market. And none of this is helping the real economy. That's what you always have to remind yourself. It's going to seem like everything's great when the stock market is going gangbusters. But it's not like the government is pumping productivity into the market. They're, they're not pumping production into the economy. They're not creating anything of value. They aren't producing anything. They aren't creating or allocating resources more efficiently. That's not what they're doing. It's In fact, they're, they're doing the opposite. Because when you have a fiat monetary system, right, like the one we have, you have a, dollar, a paper dollar that's backed by nothing, the money derives its value from the production in the economy. Now, if nothing is being produced, these are just worthless pieces of paper that, that were circulating around the economy, right? Now, we use that paper to divvy up all of the production in the economy. That, that's the whole point of the, the fiat monetary system, right? The economy produces goods and services using the limited amount of resources we have on the planet and the way we determine who gets to consume what portion of that production is by using money. But what the Fed is doing, when it, inject, it just injects money into the economy and you don't get any more production... And actually, in this case, due to the shutdown, we're getting less production than ever before. All that happens is you have more dollars in circulation to divvy up the same amount of production that you had before. So the prices that we have to use to divvy up all of that production just increase so that the market can clear. That's what's going to happen. And the cost of everything throughout the economy will have to go up at some point. It just has to because the money is like the blood of the economy. It flows through the whole thing. It's everywhere, and it affects everything. And the ones who get access to it first get to spend it before the market adjusts prices to the increased money supply. And that's where all this wealth inequality is coming from. And while they're making millions of dollars off of this scheme, joe six-pack the regular peasants in the street they're left holding the bag because by the time he gets the money by the time the inflation makes its way down to him all those dollars have changed hands a few times and prices have increased so his cost of living has gone up but his paycheck if he's still getting one stays the same and if he's getting a stipend from the government well that stays the same too or maybe, you know, he gets a raise that's commensurate with what the government is claiming the inflation rate to be. You know, their 2% target. They're always claiming that inflation's at 2%. But as I explained earlier, it's much higher than that. Of course it is. They're, they've been understating it since they re-engineered the way we calculate the, uh, the price of inflation back in the 90s under Clinton. And, and by the way, th- this whole 2% target thing is just absolutely ridiculous. As if that's just some magical number that is the, the perfect amount of inflation for an economy. That, that's what we got to strive for. Like anyone could even know that. Where do they even get this number from two oh, percent? Okay. Why not two and a half percent? or one and a half percent? I mean, if two is good, wouldn't three be better? I mean how how does all this work how high do, where's the point where you have too much inflation and not enough inflation and how do you know that that is just the perfect amount that that's the, the exact amount of inflation as if you can engineer an economy to have like the perfect amount and you could know what that number is and and our wise overlords at the Fed are, are the ones that just know through their economic models and all that stuff that 2% is where we need to be this is all just a bunch of bullshit man You see, the U.S. government is the world's largest debtor nation. We used to be the world's largest creditor nation. But you see, debtors, they love inflation because you get to pay off the debts with money that is less valuable than when they borrowed it. So that's why they have an inflation target. That's why they want to understate inflation because they need to inflate all of this debt away and pay it back with worthless money. That, that, that's the debtor's goal. Inflation is the, a debtor's best friend. And really what the Fed is doing w- with their stated goal of a 2% inflation target, they make it seem like that's the number that we have to have for the economy to function properly or something like that, which is ridiculous. What they're really doing is they're stealing 10% of your purchasing power from your savings every five years. And that's assuming that they stick to your their their target and they don't go much higher than that. So if you can't put your money to work for you, if you can't enslave your wealth and send it out into the economy to generate a return of more than 2% every year, you're becoming poorer. They are stealing your purchasing power right out from under you. And, and nobody voted on it, and nobody can stop it. And we have this quote-unquote independent uh, Federal Reserve that just gets to do this to you. And none of these banks are going to be paying you an interest rate that's higher than the rate of inflation on your savings. So you'd have to be a fool to ha- to have your money just sitting there losing value over time. I mean, ten percent over five years—that's not. I mean, that, that that's not chump change. Uh, these are real real numbers, and they are stealing from you. Inflation is a tax; it's a hidden tax. And and people aren't stupid. They be- they know that they're being incentivized to spend. Nobody's being incentivized to save everyone's being incentivized to spend because that's what Keynesians think drives economic growth, is spending. And everybody in Washington just happens to be a Keynesian. Why? Because that just happens to give them the perfect excuse to do everything that they already wanted to do, which is print out a bunch of money and give it away to buy people's votes. The problem is that they've got the economic cart before the horse. They've got the whole thing backwards. Savings drives economic growth. Savings and production, not spending. You have to save and invest in plant and equipment and forego current spending so that you can produce something that can then be consumed. You can't consume something before it's produced, and you can't produce without first saving. So they've incentivized, if you think about what the government's done here, they've incentivized people to do the opposite of what drives economic growth by destroying the value of everybody's savings through inflation, through all of this monetary policy. And what do people do with their money? How do they try to avoid that inflation tax? How do they try to compensate for it? Well, they put their money in the stock market. They buy the fucking dip, BTFD. People who have no business investing in companies have no idea What they're doing are essentially forced by the government, by government monetary policy to put their life savings at risk in their manufactured boom bust cycle. And now we've got millennials and Gen Z's or whatever is before or whatever came after millennials and you know really young kids they're using these apps like Robinhood to invest in the stock market this is how insane it is getting and it's a very good indicator that we may have seen the top of this most recent rally when you've got you know 10 year olds buying stocks on their cell phone and you've got kids who haven't even sprouted their first pubes giving you stock tips giving you giving you advice in the stock market i mean we have reached peak insanity in these markets we've got bankrupt companies like Hertz they're they're completely bankrupt they are filing chapter 11 and they're issuing a billion dollars in stock and people are buying it this is they're going to have the first bankrupt uh, stock o- offering this has never happened before think about that think about that by definition that stock is going to be worthless once the bankruptcy proceedings get underway Equity holders do not get a piece of the bankruptcy pie. It doesn't. The stock goes to zero. What sane, rational person would be investing in a worthless stock? What company's stock price goes up after they go bankrupt? I mean, it should go to zero because that's what it's worth. But the stock was up 50% the other day. None of this makes any economic sense at all. And it's all sunshine and butterflies while the bubble is inflating, and everyone feels like they're stock-picking gurus because the market just keeps going up and up and up. I saw the other day that the Barstool Sports guy was joking that he's a better stock-picker than Warren Buffett. Another good indicator that we may have uh, reached our peak here because it goes up and up and up until it doesn't, until the bubble pops. And all of that paper wealth evaporates like it did in 2008. And you lose your life savings in the blink of an eye. Now sure, you know, if you're young and you don't have that much invested in these markets, you're not going to get beat up too bad. And you can recover from that. You've got your whole working life ahead of you. But what if you're like 60 when the bust happens? You were a couple years away from retirement from what you thought was going to be like your golden years, and you had everything funded and everything was going to work out, and then bam, it's all gone. All of it. I mean, this is a very dangerous game we're playing, and there are really only two outcomes left at this point, neither of which are very good. We let the bubble pop. We let the bubbles in the stock market and the bond market, we let those pop. We let the free market purge itself of almost 20 years of malinvestment that was made thanks to the Fed monetary policy, let the market clear and reset and get back on a solid foundation from which economic growth can actually return and that's going to mean massive unemployment, tremendous amounts of financial loss for a lot of people, true, real economic hardship and pain and that's that's real. That, that's real people's lives. will be ruined. Or, The Fed can keep going, keep doing what it's doing. The government keeps borrowing and spending and creating money out of thin air and pumping it into the economy to keep the stock market from falling. The problem with that is that at some point, you will have to create so much inflation that the tiny bit of value that the dollar still has since, by the way, the Federal Reserve has destroyed more than 95% of the the value of the dollar since 1913, but that little bit that's left, that little bit of value that the dollar still has, will be wiped out completely, and we'll see runaway inflation and the cost of living skyrocket for all Americans. Now, that was like a worst-case scenario that was not very likely to to come to fruition uh, a few years ago. But now it's looking like it's one of the more likely scenarios out of all of this. I mean, we are not immune to that. I know we like to think that it can't happen over here because we're America. I mean, it happens. It will happen if, you, if we continue down this path. It happened in Germany. happened in Zimbabwe. It's going on right now in Venezuela. And it can happen here if we don't face the music. But either way, there are going to be some really bad times ahead. The government that most people have been looking to for protection, for security, to fund their retirement, to guarantee their bank accounts, they have kicked this can down the road for so long and done the wrong thing time after time after time that there simply aren't any good options left to get out of this. There is no pain-free way of getting out of the hole that we've dug ourselves into. We're going to be $30 trillion in debt most likely by the time the next president is sworn in. And there is a very good chance that that may not be Donald Trump. And so the fiscally conservative Republicans, supposedly, uh, could they could even lose control of both houses. And we could have a Democratic Socialist Party with the White House and the, the House and the Senate and a mandate for more government spending coming into power at just the right time to put that final nail in the coffin of this great American experiment in limited government. And we're starting to see the cracks of this empire uh, really start to take shape here. We're seeing cities burned to the ground. We're seeing communist takeovers in Seattle, talk of secession and we saw what angry people will do when they get riled up. And that was not even in the face of economic hardship, right? I mean, we, yeah, we were quarantined, but uh, imagine if all of those people now, ha- none of them had jobs. And not only that, all, all of those problems that we were experiencing due to the forced shutdown, the shortages of, of food, there's nothing on the shelves in the grocery store. They don't have enough money to buy basic necessities. There's no toilet paper. There's no nothing. Things could get really bad really, really quick around here. And hopefully, if this whole thing does come crashing down, we find the the most peaceful way of dissolving it into whatever is going to come out of this. Hopefully, I, I think it's I think it's long past time that the United States breaks up. I've said that before. This is a this is a disaster. This is a failed experiment, and I would love to see more of these, um, te- more testing of different approaches to ways of organizing society that we're starting to kind of see, um, in the most retarded fashion, of course, because these are communists, but. Uh, you know a- alternative solutions to policing alternative solutions to organizing uh, cities and and just society in general and hopefully we can get we can get an capistan going in, in some one of these areas i don't know what we're waiting for uh, why don't we have uh, an capistan go right up against that uh communist commune in seattle and we can see a, a perfect juxtaposition against the ideologies and see which one works out and which one doesn't all right, I'm going to wrap there, guys. Thank you so very much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, I need you to do me a favor. Download and subscribe and share the show with somebody, just one person that you think might enjoy it. And if you have time to go on to iTunes, give me a rating and review. Five stars if you think the show is worth it. You can follow me on Twitter. If you want access to the world's best meme folder, you got to follow me at Petal Fiction. And then, of course, if you want to go above and beyond the call of duty, you can go to peddlingfictionpodcast.com, and you can set up a donation to support the show monetarily. I I gave you as many options as I could think of to donate. You can do a one-time donation. You can set up a really small monthly contribution. Anything that you can do to to help grow the show. I don't keep any of this money. I, I use it to advertise for the show to promote the show to try to increase listenership and increase our reach and if you guys can do all that for me i will be back next week with a brand new episode for you until then you guys know the drill just keep on pedaling that so-called fiction